You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I dreamed a dream of days to come Where sponsorship is high and money is forthcoming That's beautiful, Kevin. I really added a voice onto that one, too. (laughs) I really was trying to go for something there. Listeners, we love creating this podcast, but it does cost money. Please don't make me sell my Angel record. Oh, my gosh, the original cast recording of Angel. That, like, nobody has. Nobody has it. If you like what we are doing and want us to keep doing more of it, please... Head over to Patreon.com. What? That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Pat-reon. I feel like <laughs> oh, Pat-reon. Yeah, Pat-reon. 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 Yeah, once you're there, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends. And of course, we don't expect to give without receiving some great rewards. Such rewards include behind-the-scenes videos, shout-outs on future episodes, mm. or episodes, depending on what part of the country you're from, because <laughs> I said episodes, and early access to some of our podcasts. Hell, for the right price, Kevin and I will come to your apartment and act out all of Agnes of God. <laughs> yeah. So head over, friends, to P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com to help us out. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain, and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. For many young musical theater performers, a rite of passage in their New York City development is appearing in one of the many wonderful productions that is produced by the award-winning Musicals Tonight. In fact... I did in 2003. Uh, what show? It, it was Primrose. Uh-huh. It was my probably my New York debut. See? Yes. Uh, so Musicals Tonight is doing something that we on this show love to do. Shine a light on forgotten and neglected musicals of the past. Musicals so of their eras that the likelihood of them reappearing is very slim. Because you've never heard of Primrose. Has anyone? No. no. But George Gershon wrote it, and we were the world premiere. I mean, the, the American premiere. I remember that. Look at you, fancy. I, know, I, know, I just got really excited. <laughs> if it wasn't for someone like today's guest, who is celebrating the works of yesteryear while giving the stars of tomorrow their big break, mm-hmm. so many of the canon's great works might be lost. To tell us what it was like building this company, which forgotten musicals need to be rediscovered, and what is in store for this, their 20th year in business, here is Musical Tonight's Mel Miller. 
gentlemen. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm happy to have you here, Mel. Thanks. We are so happy to have you. Mel, wh how did you fall in love with the theater? That's going to be our first question. Wow. Um, when I was a kid, there was still on radio dramatic shows. Huh. There was one. And I used to listen to it religiously on CBS radio. And the next show played original cast recordings. Now, back in the day, they didn't wait to see what the sales were like. They stuffed the cast in a recording studio before the show was open. Right. They turned the power on, and you got an original cast recording. <laughs> and right. so I heard these things. Now, I was lower middle class Bronx boy, so we never had enough money to, to go see a show, but I could get an LP. Okay. And so I ended up with an LP collection, not intentionally of obscure shows, but of shows that were on this bloody radio station right. that I fell in love with. Oh, my God. And so I had this collection, and then I went off to do what all nice Jewish boys do from the Bronx. I became a chemical engineer. Amazing. <laughs> we well, went to Bronx Science High School. I went School. to Bronx Science. I went to Columbia. Uh, I got my first job as an engineer, mm -hmm. and almost immediately I realized this was a big mistake. And then I got my next job, <laughs> of all things, as a computer salesman. Oh, for IBM, right. Yes, and I realized that was a big mistake. <laughs> and so without spending too much time on the history, I ran into, I ran into a guy at the gym and he was interesting and I was boring. I was still a suit, and he was involved in both theater and the, inter and, uh, the internet. Uh -huh. And he and I were gonna do an inter internet business, we're talking over 20 years ago. So it was like the internet was relatively new. Yeah, we were gonna do an internet business, and on the side, we were going to revive one of the shows I had always loved from the LP. And I was gonna watch him do it. Cut to the chase, he was totally bogus. I'm not even sure his name was his name. And he vanished without a trace, leaving a girlfriend uh, out $10,000. What? And I said, well, so much for show business. And then I thought, hey, a producer just has to write checks. I can write checks. <laughs> That's how it started. I invented <laughs> producing from dirt. All I knew, I had the LP of Let It Ride, which was... That a, old chestnut. The yes. old chestnut. And I had this LP, and all I knew about the show was what was written on the LP. There was no Wikipedia even Right, then. right, right. And so I dug and dug and dug and dug. I found the show, I found the creators, I found the rights. Now I had to find a director. I had right. to find a venue. And so my first cousin's husband was pals with Joe Stein's son. I still love it. Your first what? cousin's husband? husband's, no. For first cousin's husband. Right, best friend's father. Yes, with Joe Stein. It's like you're related. It's classic. Yes. I mean, it's, yeah, that's it's classic. I, I, I. No, no. <laughs> and so he recommended Tom Mills. Right. And so I'm meeting with, it could have been the man in the moon. Right. What do I know about asking intelligent questions about 
directing a musical, dire directing making Holivar. I don't know any of those. You things. had no experience in Nothing. showbiz other than listening, putting a record on a record player. And, <laughs> and seeing a lot of shows in the audience, what I call right. being a civilian. Right, right, mm. right. And I used to go to London two, three times a year. Mm -hmm. I'd see lots of shows. I, I didn't have a blog. There were no blogs. You know, I didn't keep notes. I just... Right. And so I decided, son of a bitch, I'm going to do this. Of course, with Tom's help. And uh, now I had to find a theater. Well, you, even though they still had yellow pages, <laughs> you don't look for a theater for, for off, 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 off. Broad. I found a theater. The Greek, we, we performed in the old Lambs Club. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. And they had a big theater upstairs, and they had a little theater in the former lounge nightclub because the place was now owned by a Nazarene Christian sect, so they could not have a nightclub, and they converted it into a small theater. This is the place on 44th or I, no? Yeah, e either yeah. 44th or 43rd. Yeah, but it was Broadway. on the other side yeah, of Broadway. Exactly. Yeah. And, and now it's a... It's, they uh, tore it down. Yes. Over, yeah. They didn't tear it down, but oh, they good. renovated it. And so our green room was the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> the industrial kitchen. Hi-ho, the glamorous life. <laughs> exactly. And so we did this one show, and you guys, and hopefully your audience members know that what's important about theater is the craziness that goes on under the control of getting the show on. Yeah. Whether it's the fact that the green room is an industrial kitchen with pots as, as big as the great outdoors, mm -hmm. or uh, you have to get your script approved by the priest who runs, who now runs the building uh -huh. so that it's not salacious. Oh my goodness. And, but it was all these little things that made it so special, in addition to the fact that we did the show. Right. And I thought, I have to do one more. And that is the beauty and the horror of theater. <laughs> it is so seductive. Right. Whether you're a performer, a producer, an audience member, an accompanist, right. a lighting person. You're not in it for the money. Right. You are in it for this adrenaline rush that keeps on coming. You're in it for the stories you can tell, the people you can meet, mm -hmm. the, the stories that they tell. It has nothing to do with the fact that I just made five million widgets and I cut the price by a dime. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so good. How did you get butts in the seats? If, if this is a brand new theater company, um, and also how'd you name it? I'm curious about that too. You know, I, uh, here again, I'd rather be lucky than good. I had a, a gazillion ideas, and of course, comedy tonight, we know yeah. that. And somehow it just kind of bubbled to the surface. And you know, you know, when, and hopefully your audience knows, when you're really wallowing in something and you have embraced it, mm -hmm. it embraces you back. Mm -hmm. And things that you never knew that you could do, mm -hmm. you are capable of doing. Thoughts you never thought you would have, you have. Right. Some of them are totally worth it. <laughs> but sometimes something will come to the surface and you say, Eureka, in mm -hmm. a very small way. You, all of us 
none of us, unfortunately, can cure cancer. Right. So what we have to do, I hope, is put a smile on a stranger's face, at least for two hours. Yeah. And that's what, you know, all these actors, I mean, we had one guy, and he'll remain nameless, and he was the lead in one of our shows. Mm -hmm. Very talented guy, and all you wanted to do in life was do commercials. You come in, you read the script, and you go home. Right. Okay. But, but I think that's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. When you see small potatoes, big potatoes, all kinds of performers giving the only thing they can give, mm -hmm. which is their time, their effort, and their energy. It's, I don't think audiences realize how sad this world would be without theater. Right, right. Uh, and the arts, it's, it's paramount. The arts. And the arts. Um, so going back to the, the, first, the, the first year, how did, how did you introduce you know, the, the New York to your company? There was word of mouth. I, I, printed, I printed up some flyers. I stopped people on the street, Incredible. on the subway, in my neighborhood. And uh, the cast brought some people. Yeah. Uh, I would love to do some more. And we are doing higher profile shows as, as we go along. Right. But some of these primrose yes. that you were in, I found that in London at the British Library. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I dug and I dug and I dug, and I found enough songs to put it on its feet. Can you talk a little bit about your, the detective work? Because I think that's actually really pretty cool. You know, it's, especially with the internet, right? there is a lot of libraries have online finding aids, mm -hmm. which means the entire collection is not scannable or mm -hmm. readable online, but you can go blah, 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 and you can see, oh... They have a libretto that perhaps I can use. Okay. Now, with that said, you got to go there right. and look at that libretto. Normally, if it's still in copyright, they'll let you take a photograph, but not a Xerox copy. Right. Sometimes you have to get permission from the heirs and the signs. Oh, my goodness. So, in the case of Primrose, I found it at the British Library. Because it had been performed in England. Yes, but they Gershman brothers, they went over there and they... they and I, I conjecture that they never brought it here because they were performing or... Uh, Lady Be... Not Lady Be Good. Uh, yeah, Lady Be Good was, was being performed here and they didn't want to compete with themselves. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So it sat there. Yeah. So I got the Gershwin's permission, but I was already back in the States. So <laughs> I know someone at the Library of Congress, a very nice gentleman who has been very helpful, and I've been down there often. Mm -hmm. And uh, he knows someone at the British Library. That's not Mark Horowitz, Mark is it? Horowitz, Mark yes. Horowitz, yes. Sweet man. Yeah. Very He's knowledgeable. He's a cast recording aficionado. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And so now, so he knows the lady at the British Library. Steve Ross, who you know, mm -hmm. is, is a bit of a pal. Steve was going to London. <laughs> so I arranged that when he got to the British Library, 
with a letter in hand from Mark Horowitz, he could make copies with the permission of the Gershwins, and then I would have a script. That's incredible. Tell us about George, because we had uh, mentioned before we went on the air that George was one of our first guests on the podcast, um, and uh, it, was, it was the first guest of ours to, that we've lost yeah. since interviewing them. We were huge fans of his work. Tell us about working with George. And maybe how is, you first got to know him. Yeah. Is, is doing a podcast with you dangerous? <laughs> <laughs> One out of 80. <laughs> I like Gallo's humor. I like it. One out of 80. Yeah. You know. So our second show saying. was so long, 174th Street. Yes. Right. Okay. And so I was having lunch with a bunch of people, and we, I was saying, how can I, how am I going to find a George S. Irvin? And they said, why don't you call him? And I said, don't be serious. <laughs> and they said, sure, it's very accessible. And I called him. And at that time, as little as I pay now, then I was paying 100 bucks. So he said, sure, I'll do it. (laughs) And uh, so I said, but it's only 100 bucks. And he said, do you know how many times I have sung the Butler song for free? Right. (laughs) So you give me 100 bucks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he was, I hate to use the past tense, talking about George. He was not only charming, he was such a pro. He was running his lines not because he was getting Alzheimer's. He wanted to be letter perfect. Everyone in the cast was so honored to occupy the dressing room with with him, be on stage with him. We revived... And that was also... We interviewed Joan Copeland, yeah. And and she came to one of the... And she's pals with George. Yeah. And uh, as is Marjorie Gray, who played his daughter. Oh. Marjorie is Sheldon Harnix. Yeah. Oh. Oh. And uh, so... uh, And that was was, uh, also uh, a case. The the (laughs) creators were still alive, barely. And... They had hated each other for decades. And so, and I've forgotten both of their names. The composer wrote Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Polka Dot Bikini, which made him all this money and was very embarrassing to him. Oh, really? And uh, the you're looking it up while yeah. I'm vamping. Yes. Anyhow, Dave, David Shaw? No. He wrote the libretto. Music by Lee Puck. Pockris and Ann Caldwell. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Ann lives yeah. on the Upper West Side, and she had boxes and boxes of stuff. And I'm just rummaging through all this stuff, and among the things she had was music that uh, Vivian Lee could not sing or refused to even try to sing. Oh, oh my wow. And so here's all this wonderful music that is, we're not talking about just plucking stuff out of a catalog mm-hmm. and trying to shoehorn it in. We're talking about stuff that was written for the show that could not be used in the show. And we had, I don't know if you know her, Barbara McCullough uh, played played uh, oh. the Vivian Lee role, and she was and is wonderful. Yeah. So anyhow, so George is telling me, George played the dirty American in the show. And at one point in the show, he realizes that his maid 
is a white Russian mm -hmm. countess. And he bows from the waist, and someone had given Vivian Lee as a gag gift a Dymo labeler. What's, what's This is back in the day. It looked, oh. It, it had this round cartridge, and you dialed it, and you got a letter which was then put into oh. a tape. And so she is making Dymo labelers and putting it backstage <laughs> like Vivian Lee. So <laughs> George, George is bowing from the waist and sees on the tops of his character shoes signs that Vivian Lee had created with her Dymo labeler that are saying, if you can read this sign, you are bowing too low. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. I mean, you just yeah, Vivian Lee, and then he would also say that when she was about to go into one of her spells, uh -huh. you could hear her hair tighten, kink up. It almost went bing. Oh my! And Irene, okay, of all the, the musical, where he got his Tony. Yeah. Okay. So, of all people, I wasn't, it wasn't, it was not Noel Coward, it was... John Gielgud. John Gielgud was supposed to be directing this thing. Yeah. Oh, a match made in heaven, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> and so, they're in Detroit, and uh, Maria Karnalova, George's uh, a late wife, yeah. uh, had come up, and she and George had adjoining suites to Gielgud. And Gielgud is on the phone with London saying, no, no, I hate these stupid murderers. And so she, Murush, would get on her hands and knees with a glass from the dressing room and stick her head by the adjoining door. And even though she would cough from the cigar smoke that came through the door jam, it was worth it to listen to this insane. <laughs> and he obviously then got fired, and, and uh, uh, Gower Champion took over. Right. They wanted to give George. George was supposed to be a uh, dress designer, a famous dress designer. Mm -hmm. Not light in the loafers or anything, just a famous dress designer. <laughs> they wanted to give him a piece of business for the show. And so they were in Philadelphia. And they hire this guy. You know, the old Ed Sullivan show used to have vaudeville acts. Yeah. So this guy and his wife, for decades, traveled the country making a living with this vaudeville act. He would come on, very fancy dress. She would dress suit. She would come on in a very slinky outfit. He would have a bolt of fabric. He would unfurl it dramatically out into the audience. He would put one part of it on her shoulder. Uh -huh. He would cue the orchestra. They would play the minute waltz. He would spin her around, and at the end of the minute waltz, she was in a silk gown. That was the act. So in one minute, he created a gown from scratch on this woman. That is incredible. That is. And so this guy taught George how to do this. 
And then they cut it from the show. <laughs> no! Oh, my God, I love it. I mean, and so, on and on. Yeah. I have always wanted to lay down. I wanted to, to, to be a fly on the wall. I wanted to write his autobiography, ghostwrite his autobiography. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, he was in uh, South Pacific before uh, original cast. Oklahoma. Oklahoma, original Oklahoma. cast. And he knew everybody. Yeah. He, was, he played Merlin in uh, Camelot. Oh, yeah. At Paper Mill. So he goes into the girls' dressing room, <laughs> and he sees all the beefcake photos on the wall of all the ensemble people. He goes home, and he finds a beefcake photo of himself when he was in the Philippines in World War II, and he puts it up there with the photos of the ensemble guys. Yes, he did. And, I mean... Yeah. The guy was uh, amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. A true legend. And he yeah. did yes. and I love that he kept coming back to do your shows. Oh I mean, yeah. He, he was with you a lot. Was, how many we, did you say? Eight or something? Six. Six. We did Roar of the Grease Paint. George, mm-hmm. George played the silver shard role. And about halfway through the run, in some very impassioned segment, he drops to his knees. And I thought I certainly didn't give him the note because I'm, I don't give notes. And the director's not around. And I went to him and I said, George, his knees already were about 80 and he didn't have any knee pain. I said, George, why did you do that? And he said, I just thought the moment needed that. I love it. Yeah. Still that giving power. it all. Yeah. The power of imagination never yeah. going away. And, and who would really know that he did that except me and the cast? He did that as much for the greater good and the cast. The audience didn't see the previous performance. They don't know that right. it's not in the script. Right. And uh, that's George. Wow. A special guy. Yeah. Very A special, special guy. You know... The people who hopefully gravitate to listen to this, yeah. I mean, they should all keep mental notes of their experiences because it's not just that they saw X. They saw this person in X on that night. Yeah. yeah. I saw, it's, not, it's kind of a while ago, I saw Porgy and Bess, and, uh, you know, they... The Gershwins had gotten so much flack for letting Porgy have a cane as opposed to a wheel. And so I hadn't seen Norm Lewis perform in a very long time. And he seemed kind of scratchy. And I thought, gee, I hope he hadn't blown his voice out. And at the intermission, they announced that uh, replacing Mr. Lewis, who was indisposed, and and I figured... I, I I figured the person who might do it was they killed him off in the first act and he had a big voice. Right. <laughs> in fact, he did do it. And in the fight with Crown in Act Two, Porgy's cane flew off the stage. Oh. And so one orchestra member tiptoed over to the cane and picked it up and put it as 
<laughs> back on the stage. Porgy's got to walk. And, but that's called a one-off. Yeah. yeah. And so not only did the understudy get an extra applause from the audience and the cast, the cast acknowledged the lady that picked up <laughs> the cane. Oh, I love it. So giving. Yeah. And it's all these little things that make theater... And magical. You know, people say, wouldn't you like to have a Broadway run? I guess. I mean, it's... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Have any shows ever come close to a commercial run or anything? I feel like there was one a couple years ago that there was we talk did. of it. Uh, oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's we not did. Destry. I forget we what it did. Was. Uh, we haven't done it in Destry. We did. Uh, What's the nut farm? Um, the French. Emma Laduce? No. No, we did that, but uh, where it was a movie starring Alan Bates, and they made it a musical. King Peter of Hearts. Lake. King of Hearts. Totally. So King of Hearts did go up to good speed, and mm-hmm. I think because of us. Right. But it never went anywhere else. Gotcha. We did I'd Rather Be Right. Oh. Uh, and uh, Ann Kaufman Schneider did see it, and there were plans to do it first uh, up in New England at, I've forgotten what, it, not, not good speed, but mm-hmm. Williamstown. Mm-hmm. And then it was going to come in here, and she insisted that the guy, uh, that Steve Brady, who played our FDR, be auditioned for the role of FDR. Right. And right. he went in, and they liked him. And then the money went away. Yeah, always. That's always, always the case, yeah. isn't it? And, and we never, we never have rights longer than the two weeks. Gotcha. So, okay. have you have you ever extended? Has one been extended by? See, because we do our shows back to back. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys will go real fast, yeah. And also, the nature of the beast is that there's someone else breathing down our neck. Normally, because what we do is we in, in the autumn. We, we book our shows between the Jewish holidays and Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, if the second of the two shows is a hit, selling tickets during Thanksgiving, forget about it. Yeah, Even right. casting during Thanksgiving, forget yeah. about it. Yeah. In the spring, we go, we butt up against Easter Passover. So then again, if you want to ex- extend, you're... Yeah. And so... We just don't have the, the wherewithal right. to make that happen. I mean, the closest thing 
is that this coming season, we're doing again Anything Goes, which was wildly successful last season. Oh, great. Because the director said, yeah, I'll do it again. All right. And I'm sure we'll have a different cast. Right. But the director really made it happen. Casey, Casey Calder, okay. wonderful director, choreographer, absolutely right. stunning. If you don't mind my asking, Mel, um, where does the money for musicals tonight come from? Well, ticket sales are about two-thirds of our revenue. Contributions are maybe another 10 or 15%, and then the rest comes from me. You're a good man. You're a good man. There is uh, a bumper sticker I saw once that said... Uh, the best retirement planning is to die when the money runs out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because you, <laughs> you, you did start this. I'm not going to age you, but you started it in your 50s, I believe, right? I mean, yeah, like, you, yeah. it was sort of a... You know, it's... I don't have a rare social disease. I don't have kids. I right. don't have alimony payments. So this is my baby. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I... We raised our prices this year. I don't want to keep pouring money in. I really want the audience to put their money where their mouth is. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's good, it's good, it's good. Well, until this year, I was I was charging $18 or $25. And mm -hmm. now we up, up the price. And uh, I think we're getting, I mean, even now, for, for to see five of our shows is the cost of, of one Encore's production. And, uh, I wanted to ask you, Mel, you know, we have encores. Now we have this off-Broadway encores thing that they do in the summer. We have the York Theater. Um, why, why do you want to keep going? Well, you know, encores... I think we're going to have to heavily edit this, but so I'll just tell you... Or I can rephrase the question. No. Okay. Uh, let me... Some of our shows do not, in fact, have orchestra parts, okay? So uh, encores, on some level, can only do a show that is relatively high profile and, and has orchestra parts. Mm -hmm. When they did St. Louis Woman, mm -hmm. it cost them almost a half a million dollars to reconstruct the orchestra parts. Mm -hmm. That would let us run for two and a half years. Right. New York is increasingly doing cabaret-type, salute-type. They're doing less mufti-type right. shows. And, uh, but even that doesn't matter. I, people want to see what we do. People want to perform the show. There are a lot of shows that still could be seen that haven't been seen. Even uh, it took us ten years to get Irma Laduce. Ten years to really? get Irma Laduce, which was in its time a pretty big hit in 1960, I think, or 61. Another thing, and and when I say it, it makes makes perfect sense. If you're roundabout, mm -hmm. you could option a property. That option keeps it off the table, and they probably pay more money for that option than I would pay to perform the piece. Sure. So uh, I'm not saying that's what happens. 
also, I remember one time, we wanted to do Cabin in the Sky and celebrate um, Vernon Duke's centenary here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were working on it, no, 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 couldn't get the rights, couldn't get the rights. I find out that it was on Encore's relatively long shortlist. Right. And I reached out to the Widow Duke, and she said, I just don't want to pollute the waters, whatever, rattle. And at that time, Encores only did their shows in the spring. Uh-huh. So by the time I was talking to her, he would have been 101. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so I sent a letter or, or something to uh, Jack Fiertel, and I said, could you tell the Widow Duke, even if we make a complete hash of this thing, it will not impact your decision? And she did, he did, and she let us do it. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, and and they didn't do it for another three or four or five. Years. They've got a long list of oh, yeah. shows, and so and now they're doing all more popular ones like Big River in seventeen seventies. Yeah. Well, because like like the public, you know, if it wasn't for encores, a city center would be a Hyatt. Yeah, and so I mean, they can't do the obscure stuff. Uh, for several reasons. I mean, I don't think Nathan Lane wants to do anything too obscure, even if it's only for a long weekend. No, you're right. He wants to be seen doing something that's that's Nathan Lane. Right. Uh, I'd I'd like to get him into All-American at some point. We did it. Yeah. Did you ask him? (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask you, Mel. This might be hard for you, but we're going to ask you anyway. Uh, Do you have a favorite musical? You know, it's like asking a grand, great-grandfather. Uh, Chi-Chi was definitely one of my favorites <laughs> yeah. because it was so odd. Another thing, and I don't want to sound politically incorrect, but Chi-Chi was essentially a bunch of New York Jews writing a musical about mainland China in 1850. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Broadway has on some level created an America that everyone else has bought into. Whether it's White Christmas, whether it's God Bless America, I mean, the values, see, especially the old shows, now Broadway is reflective, uh, reflects America. (laughs) But it used to be that America took its cues from Broadway right. in a lot of respects. Yeah. And, you know, a joke that was on Broadway, you know, 20, 30 or 40 years ago, became, went into the hinterlands right. as opposed to the other way around. But, uh, yeah. But back to your question, I also, I love That's the Ticket because yeah. putting that thing together, it took about three years to do that. Uh, and it was, and because George, oh, oh, one other show, I forgot. Early to Bed. Huh? Early <laughs> to Bed? Stephen Suskind wrote a book, one of his books had a lot of front of house posters, and there's this drop dead poster, Early to Bed. Fat Waller's only book musical. Yes. With lyrics 
and libretto by a guy named George Marion Jr., who wrote a few shows, but is so old. How old is he? <laughs> he, if you if you Google him on International Movie Database, you see some because he used to write titles for silent movies. So it took you five minutes to write a title. He then wrote screenplays and a whole bunch of other things. So here's this show. Never heard of it. George Marion Jr., I think, wrote um, Too Many Girls for Rogers and Hart, or Rogers and Hammer, mm -hmm. Rogers and Hart. So I contact them, and they said, mm, Georgette Marion is George Marion Jr.'s was, she's passed away, daughter. Battery Park City, went down there, opened the trunk, there's the script, and some of the songs, okay. Now, not enough of the songs, but some of the songs. Right. Very cute. And it's bloody Fats Waller. And I'm digging on Fats Waller. You know, if, if he didn't play it, he, he sold it to someone else who, who played it. So I'm kind of stuck. I have the script. I have some of the songs. And there is a group of guys who meet every Friday night at the West Way and they argue, it's almost like Stump the Stars, but this is all musical theater stuff. Oh, okay? I want to go. Where, you know, where, where is this? <laughs> the West, the West, West Way, Way Diner. West Way Diner. You could just bring a microphone, and you could really, <laughs> I mean, it's hysterical. So they were bemoaning at the top of their collective voices about the fact that Mel wants to do early to bed. Walking right by their table is Harold Stumpy Cromer, Okay. Harold Stumpy Cromer was in Early to Bed. Harold Stumpy Cromer was in Du Barry Was a Lady what? from 1939. Harold Stumpy Cromer was part of the vaudeville team of Stump and Stumpy. <laughs> and he lived on 43rd Street. Oh, my goodness. So I contact Harold Stumpy Cromer. We sit down. He doesn't just remember his songs. He remembers every song from the show. We sat him down. I gave him 500 bucks. We sat him down with our music director and a tape recorder, and we translated his humming to enough music so we could do the show. He came to every performance. He oh, sat in the first row. We introduced him. He got a standing ovation. I'm speechless. My mind is blown. And, and it seems to me that part of the fun of what you do is is the is the part that nobody, yeah. like you said, the audience doesn't even know about. Maybe the actors don't even realize that it's, it's years that you take to mine these shows. And you do, I mean, I cannot even believe... It's like, it's like finding the oral history of, of a, of a yeah. show, you know? And, and you know, if, if you have the time, uh, sometimes you put something out there, mm -hmm. and it comes back. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it just lays there. I worked so long and hard on a show that was the only book musical by... Wait for it. Hume, no. Uh, who's the guy that played the piano? Or the, the 
from Indiana. Guy with the piano. Plays the piano. Uh, Has a hayseed sticking out of his mouth? No, cigarette. Uh, African American? No, white guy. 30s, 20s, 1920s, 1930s. 30s. Yeah. Uh, Not Leroy Anderson. No, no, no. And the but only musical he wrote. No, no, book no, musical. No, no. This was this was a book musical. I never finished the thought. It was Johnny Mercer and and Hoagy Carmichael. Oh, okay. nice. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. It, yeah, it, that makes it, sense. It yeah. Had, yeah. It had lots of titles. Uh, I've forgotten the one that took it to Broadway. I found it. Oh. You may not even know this. Uh, there is something called the Schubert Archives. What? Okay, yes. What? Schubert Archives. It is housed in the upper reaches of one of their older theaters on the east side of Broadway. Uh, I'm not sure if it's... I've forgotten which one. Anyhow, they keep or they have kept material from the shows that the Schubert's actually produced not just rented the house. Oh, my God. So they've got stuff from the passing show and a lot of stuff. Walk with music. Walk with music. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. It was at one time three after three. It was at one time. The basic story is that these three sisters are in New Hampshire or somewhere, and they want to get married, they want to live an exciting life, so they sell the farm so they can go to Palm Beach, Palm Springs, whatever. But they don't have enough money to be appropriately elegant. So one is elegant, one plays her social secretary, and one place plays her nanny or something like that. It was Kitty Carlisle Hart's starring debut on Broadway. Oh my gosh. And it's written by these two guys. Mm -hmm. And I am cobbling this puppy together and we're fast approaching the Johnny Mercer centenary year. Mm -hmm. So I contacted Mercer Foundation and I said, I'm not asking for money, but in your publicity, nothing. They didn't return my phone calls, my emails, my faxes. Weird. And I thought, if the Mercer people are not interested in even giving me some ink, who else is? Right. So I just kind of gave it up. You know. And, I mean, it's still there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I've, there are a lot of shows that I have worked on and said, you know, I don't think so. Okay. And, um, but... You know, so yeah. is there? Is oh, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Hugh Martin. Oh yeah. yeah. Was the vocal arranger for that show. Oh wow! Yeah, That's and his jazz arrangements were and, famous. And, oh yes, and I think his singing group, the Martins, mm -hmm. was in that show. Uh huh. Okay. So, trouble in Detroit. Trouble in Philadelphia. And we did uh, meet me in St. Louis, so I was on a talking, uh, conversing relationship with, with Hugh. He said, so we're on the train from Philadelphia to Boston, and we're all in the smoking car, and there's a piano in the smoking car, 
and there's Hoagie, and there is Johnny, and there is Kitty, and there is me, and we're trying to fix this show. And I thought, that would make a show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Smoking and drinking all night long, trying to fix a show. On the train. And what, what was the name of the show? It was called Three to Three so at one point, but then it was music. Uh, walk with music. Walk, walk, walk with, with music. music. And yeah. three after three was an earlier version. An earlier. Because yeah. three or after yeah. three guys. Right, crazy. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh. And uh, you know, back then, theater was really a cottage industry. Yeah. And you know, it, it became. <coughs> excuse me became so corporate and so kind of buttoned up. I mean, think about the fact, oh, Joe Kipnis. George S. Irving said that at one time, in lieu of being paid by Joe Kipnis, George had $30,000 worth of free eating at Pier 52. I would take that. <laughs> That's one way paying. That's fine. Yes, exactly. I'm McDonald's like happy. food. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... Because it was, it was, it was small time. Yeah. Now I got. I want to ask you, Mel. How do you pick a season? You know, <clears throat> the end of the day, it's really a by gosh and by golly. Uh, the last few years, <clears throat> excuse me. The uh, I've I've wanted for the directors to be more involved. Mm -hmm. I wanted them not just to say, yeah, I could do that, but rather to say, you know, I would love to direct this, or could you get the rights to this, or your audience ought to see this. And so I, want, I wanted the directors to have much more skin in the game. And so Anything Goes the first time was, was Casey's call last season. And then I went to him and I said, we have the choice of A, or perhaps doing this again, he said, in his time slot. And he said, I would prefer to do this again. All right. That's yeah. wonderful. That's really and, cool. And, you know, it's, uh, there are things that kind of speak to me. For instance, we're doing The Apple Tree. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I wanted to do it is, number one, it's a good show. Number two, we got trumped by encores, uh, Nine years ago, we had the rights, and they decided to do it with Kristen and Brian and, and, right. and uh, Kusich. Kusich. Uh, you know what Mar I mean. Markudich. Markudich, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have... And so, let's do that. Um, yeah, what else is this coming season? We're doing what? that one. We're doing Bells Are Ringing. Oh. And that hasn't been done in a while. Love and, Bells Are Ringing. And, you know, as much as I like to bring my audience new stuff, I also, they're not that wonky. Mm -hmm. And I want to give them the opportunity. I mean, I watch them. I want to give them the opportunity of poking each other and smiling mm -hmm. or lip syncing a song. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, and, sweet. And <laughs> Hopefully not singing out loud. Yes. <laughs> and and Boys from Syracuse will be the be in the beginning of oh, our spring season. Yeah. And, you know, when we did Anything Goes the first time, there were people who said, we have seen this show five times, six times, three times, and we love, we're so glad you did it. Mm. Which is very different than saying, you're not supposed to be doing something that high profile. And so, uh, I mean, we can't be so wonky right. that people don't know 
the composer, the lyricist, the librettist, right. and only maybe one song in the show. I mean, you know, that's a black hole then. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are doing Calamity Jane, which will be the, the New York premiere. I saw it in London yeah. about 10 years ago. It gets done here, but it's never been done in New York. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and then we're doing Anything Goes Again. Fantastic. So it's, I mean, there's some shows for which we have not been able to get the rights. There are some shows that we might get the rights anon uh, that we'll keep asking yeah. for. There are some shows uh, that I'd like to do, but they're not quite ready for us. For instance, uh, Dunny Kravitz. Sure. And uh, the we're talking and we may do, I don't want to give anything away, but there's someone... There are other things that we'd like to do for which we do not have, we haven't even asked for the rights. Mm -hmm. But see, also, our, our new array of directors, not only do they uh, like or want to do something, they worked with writers. I'm not going to do new work. That's, that's no, too no, tough. No, no, no. But they have, they have done a revival of someone's work in Carolina. Mm -hmm. th that hasn't been done in New York in, in a while. Mm -hmm. And they've cracked the code in the sense that they, it's not just two-dimensional. It's mm -hmm. not just on a page. They have breathed life into this puppy. Yeah. And, and they've seen it done elsewhere less well from, from their point yes. of view. And so this is a real asset to have as part of the creative team someone who has seen this, in various iterations and wants it done. It's not like the guy who wants to do it minimalist and you know right. put them on stage naked or let's do King Lear in street clothes. Right. We're not talking that. We're just we're, we're just talking about giving life to something that that too many people have phoned in because it's been around too long. Right. Brilliant. Um, for, for people who might not have seen a production of musicals tonight, um, memorized, on book, off book? Off book, and Court. that has been a change. That is a change, because I, we carried yes. our books when I did it in 2003. For, for two years now, we have been off book, and which, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was always afraid that if we asked too much of our actors, that it would be almost burdensome mm -hmm. because we don't pay them. But my directors have convinced me that if you feed the beast, mm -hmm. yes, if you feed that beast, they will respond appropriately. They are so thrilled to be off book because they can be more expressive. They can do more dancing. They can, we can give them more props, more money. <laughs> well, and so it becomes a much fuller production. Yeah. yeah. And uh, for the first time in Anything Goes, as a matter of fact, we had a three-piece combo. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. So, so three-piece combos, that was my next question, or instrumentation. Again, it depends, it depends on what the director and the music director want. We don't do anything... We don't want to do anything, number one, just to spend money. Yeah. And number two, we don't want to do anything because that's the way it was done before. But if it makes, if the director and the music director says it's going to be a much more, it's going to be much richer. Mm -hmm. For instance, 
something like 1940s radio hour. You're going to have to have a combo. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You're going to have to have a combo. Uh, if we were ever to do... What was the wonderful dance show that had only recorded music that was at Lincoln Center? Oh, Contact? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need a combo. You just need a, yeah. a sound system. <laughs> and if you do swing... Oh, yeah. But I don't think we'll ever do swing. Yeah. That, would, yeah. that would break the bank. We're never going to have a, a whole orchestra. <laughs> you couldn't put anyone on the stage. Right. The stage is too small. And wh- what theater are you at now? We're at the Lion. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And their season, once again, if I'm, I'm going to run through this, is October 3rd through the 15th is the Apple Tree. October 17th. Oh, um, yeah. October 17th through the 19th, uh, 29th is Bells Are Ringing. February 13th through the 26th, the boys from Syracuse. February 27th through March 11th is Anything Goes. And March 13th to March 25th is Calamity Jane. Oh, I love it. Belly up to the boar, boys. That's going to be great. great. What a great season, Mel. This is this yeah. is so exciting. Um, and, and, you know, you've done 90 classic musicals. 95. 95 yeah. since starting this 1998. out. 1998. And also something really cool just for us. Um, you know, when we do our podcast, we do we release two episodes a week. On Mondays, we release an interview with a legend like yourself. And then on Thursdays, we do something called My Favorite Things, where Kevin and I discuss an obscure or, or neglected or, or forgotten musical or a person that we think people should know. And a few weeks ago, you and Musicals Tonight were our favorite thing. Yeah. So this is the first time one of our favorite things has actually appeared. Oh, yeah. As a guest with I like us, that. <laughs> which is so we're very excited yeah, by that, Mal. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, thank you. And you know, if you haven't seen a show over at Musicals tonight, it's it's really something special, and it and it gives you a chance to revisit a piece that might not have been uh, displayed before. So right. thank you for doing that, and we can't wait to see what the twentieth and the twenty first and the twenty second and all the f- subsequent seasons have in common. Right. Um, your website is musicalstonight.org. Great. Exactly. Um, and if anyone wants to reach out to you, they can do it at musicalstonight at AOL.com. Exactly. That's wonderful. Nice. Oh, my gosh. Well, we're going to go. We're going to let Mel go live his life. And then Mel, in a couple of days, expect an email from Kevin and I with a suggestion of 20 other musicals <laughs> that we think should be done at some point. Destry sure. Rides Again. Goldilocks. <laughs> we did you Goldilocks. did Goldilocks. That's right. I missed. Oh, because we talked about that with the spreadsheet. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, anyway. What a pleasure. Yeah, Thank you, Mel. Thank so you much so much. Fun. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Mel. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.